Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1987, four childhood friends were reunited after 10 years to investigate the murder of a mentor they all shared. During this time, they unlocked the deep secrets of the past and found themselves exposed to the darkness that surrounded them. Soon it became more than a fight for justice. And instead, it became a fight against the ultimate evil. Six months later, in the winter of 1988, bonded by their knowledge of the dark unknown, they have decided to no longer be the victim. Now they seek out the deep roots of satanic corruption that hides in the shadows of society, all the while trying to mentor a new companion, seeking justice for the death of his cousin. Institutionalized is the second story arc in the Chronicles of Darkness first edition story, The Ultimate Evil, set in Bismarck, North Dakota in 1988. Join us in this tale of satanic horror with Wayne, played by Adam, Che, played by Andrew, Alex, played by Mitch, Michael, played by Slavic, and the newcomer Derek, played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM, and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. Alex, your eyes snap open as you hear the alarm clock that you had set for 8.30 the previous evening. (laughs) Motherfucker. You'll slap the alarm clock off the desk. There's a moment after you slap the alarm clock off the desk and it goes off and you hear like the some random FM static because you kind of shifted the dial. You're actually comforted because you weren't woken up in fear. There's like a moment where you're just like kind of looking at the desk that you had fallen asleep at the night before and you're looking at the alarm clock on the ground and you kind of realize that you were able to at least get like four hours of good sleep. What are you going to do now that you woke up and what is going on in your head? He's going to get up and shuffle on over to the shower. First thing grumbling about how he needs more sleep, but you know, he's got shit to do. So he's just going to get himself cleaned up. When you get cleaned up, you see that you come downstairs and that your mom has cooked you breakfast and you can smell it as you're coming down the stairs you smell like fresh coffee and you can kind of see her moving around. You see your dad is sitting at the dining room table and he's reading a newspaper, Bismarck Tribune. And you see like he kind of lifts the top of the paper down as you're walking down the stairs. And he just looks up for at you for a second. You see his piercing gray eyes and his bushy eyebrows. And he, your father still has pretty thick gray hair on top of his head that's cut though in a conservative American type style, almost dated in a way. There's a moment where he's looking at you, like he's sizing you up, and then the paper goes back up. And you're reminded of seeing those very eyes that morning over a year ago where he had found you on the park bench when you'd been homeless for a little bit, and he had taken you back in. That cold, stern, Russian demeanor, but you know it's his way of showing warmth. And your mom turns around and looks, and you see she has a smile. And like you had said earlier, your relationship with your mother has been more like it was when you were a child, that warm, caring, everything's going to be okay. You know, when you and your family immigrated from Soviet bloc Russia, when you were 
five, four or five years old, your mother was really an anchor because you were having a hard time getting along with kids, learning English, trying to adapt to the lifestyle. And you found that you and your mother at that time had a really close bond until you figured out around the age of eight or nine that your humor and your wit, once you figured out English, made up for the fact that you weren't originally from Bismarck. And that's when trouble started happening was you trying to impress. And that led you down that road, that path in life. But you have found now though, that your relationship is back to that. When you see your mom smiles and she like motions for you to come and give her a hug. I'll give her a hug and, you know, thanks mom. I didn't, you know, I wasn't expecting you to make all this for me. I was just going to grab some coffee and go. Oh, you sit down, you sit down. You're, you got to be, you got to be healthy. You got to eat a lot of healthy food. Put, put that weight on your bones. You know, you got to uh, be like Michael, be like that Michael boy. He's very healthy, very healthy. You could be like that too. You know, you do a little push-ups. you go running, go to the YMCA. Yeah. You get, you, you're looking healthy. And she grabs your cheek and she just kind of pinches your cheek like firmly and then turns around and is like getting you some coffee. And she sits across from you on the table. It's like this rounded table and your father's like still reading the newspaper. You just hear him grunt once in a while. And as you're eating, she is just holding this cup of coffee in her hands and she's looking at you, not like intrusively, but caringly. And then eventually she's like, so what do you, the drawings and everything? Well, what's that all about? What you doing with that? I'm just, you know, working my way through everything, mom. Nothing to worry about. I see the drawings. They worry me a little bit. Not going to lie, Michael. I'm just trying to get everything out of my head. You know, it's it's better that I do the drawings than I, you know, do anything else. But what's in your head, Michael? That's what's in your head? That's what scares me, Michael. You know, I, I got a lot of nightmares from the bad times, mom. You know, I just got to get them out somehow. So that's the, uh, and then she says in Russian, she says symbolism. And then she like tries to say it in English, a symbol. Um, you see, she's stuck up on the English word for symbolism for a little bit. He'll say it in Russian. Then he'll say it in English. Sim- symbolism, mom, symbolism. Symbolism. That's the symbolism for. Um, the, the symbolism. Sim- symbolism for the addiction. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it is. Well, <laughs> I told you, you're a little boy. You come to America, all these opportunities happen. And look at now you draw. And now you work with Michael. And you're an uh, um, entrepreneur. Yes, entrepreneur. And then you hear a grunt like entrepreneur. It's like from the behind the paper. And she looks at you, entrepreneur. And she's like, and you work in business. That's very good. I like all your friends. I like the quiet one, Chayton, and, and, and uh, the, the mustache one. And yes, they're good people. You need to spend more time around them. I wish you would stop working at the main bar. That's not a good influence. Money is money, Ma. Yeah, yeah. money, money. Money is money. But you see, she like curses in, in Russian. She like almost spits on the ground. She realizes she's in the kitchen. She looks at you. She's like, money, root of evil. Yes, and then you hear, you see the, your father just like put the newspaper down. He looks at her sternly and you realize like you kind of catch these moments between your parents or your mom will kind of go into like this slight communist light lingo. And your dad just like shuts that shit down real quick with his looks. And then she looks at your dad and then she's like, well, you live for money. It, it's no good. Right. And she looks at you like much rather have you healthy, happy than, than money at bar. Be like Michael. You know, you know my, 
Ma, the more time I spend working, the less time I have to spend on other things. So maybe it's not such a bad idea. I guess, I guess. I still wait for a girlfriend. Hmm? I know you got girls. I wait to meet girls. No, no, Ma, I don't have time for that. What worries me? Alexis, why? Where, where does this lead to? What's all this for? Where does this all end? I'm working to build a future. What's the future? Drawing and screaming nightmares? Working in bar? Or going into business with your friends? I'm already in business with my friends. I know, but you don't, you seem, um, no committed. Mom, I'm working two jobs. What do you want? What for? For the money. What for? I don't know. I'll figure it out down the road. You know, maybe I'll buy a house or two. Then you see a father grunt and he like puts the paper down. He nods and looks at you. And then he like puts the paper back up and he continues to read. And she's like better than sticking it in my arm. And you hear it again from behind the paper, even though he doesn't look at you. And then you, as you're finishing up your food, she's like, okay, you need a ride. You need a ride. Me to ride. Give you a drive there. And he's like, no. And you like, see the paper get closed. He's like, I'll drive him. Get, get your jacket. Your father no, get mom, mom, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I'll, I'll either walk or take the bus. You know, I could use a good jog this morning anyways. Uh, you see him like uh, down. And you see your father stand up. He's like a bull of a man. You know, as he stands up, you see he's pretty like shorter and wider than you. He's like, I'll drive you. Get your jacket. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and as you get your jacket, he gets his jacket on and you see him go out to the garage door and you follow him and he hits the garage door opener and you hear <laughs> as the garage door opens up and he motions to the car and he has a kind of a nicer car. It's like an older Cadillac, but you know, your father worked really hard. It's like his prized possession is something that he like, you know what I mean? He's American, you know, and it's something like he, him owning different homes that he rents out and stuff like that. It's kind of like a, a symbol of like the struggle that he's been through and he takes a lot of pride to it. He like waxes it, keeps it out of the elements, all that. So he gets in and he starts it up and, he backs out and there's a moment where you know because you live on the west side of town you actually live only like a few blocks away from those apartments that you went to all the way back in remembrance when you talked to johnny vaughn and you live not too far from that truck stop from the uh, from remembrance and he uh starts driving and he's heading down state street eventually which will lead to main street which intersects it and there's a moment where he's driving he he's a man of very few words you know and he pulls out a pack of cigarettes out of his shirt pocket and he looks at you and he kind of like offers if you want one. No, thanks. And you see, he puts one in his mouth and he kind of pulls the little metal ashtray thing from the center council open, which is immaculately clean. It's almost like he cleans it out every time he gets done driving when he smokes and he cracks the window and he lights a cigarette. He starts smoking, he looks at you and he's like, looks straight ahead. He's like, I respect what you do. Your mom worries about you. I know why you do what you do. And he just keeps looking forward. Thanks, dad. And he looks sideways again. And he looks forward. And he's like, I know you see something you try to forget, right? Mm, I've seen a lot of things I'd rather not remember. You just know memories fade. Yes, memories eventually go away. You keep doing what you do. You'll get somewhere where memories won't matter anymore. Yes? I certainly hope so. Yeah. You stay off that shit. Don't put that shit in your arm no more. You'll be fine. That's uh, That's the plan. You get a girl, make you forget about that shit real quick. And he like looks at you and he smiles and then he just looks forward. And by that time you're getting in front of Main Street, you see Che, Wayne, and Michael are all talking. You guys see this Cadillac come out front and you see the passenger door open up and you see Alex get out. Alex, what are you wearing right now, by the way, in this winter 
day. Probably a pair of jeans with some long johns under it. Um, a sweatshirt. It's got like a white t-shirt underneath it. Maybe a maroon colored sweatshirt. You know, a knit cap underneath the hood. And you're still clean shaven, got none of that facial, no facial hair or anything like oh, yeah. that? Clean shaven, immaculate personal hygiene. Hmm. You know, brushed, flossed, scoped. Oh, Really taking Nails. care of himself, huh? Oh, yeah. Nails are, you know, trimmed. Like, he's right down to every little tiny detail. Let me ask you a question before we cut, go to the scene. Are you still shaken by that dream and what you saw in that drawing? Yeah, but he's not letting it get to him. He's not trying to show it? Yeah. Okay. So, before we cut to the scene also, Wayne, what are you currently wearing right now? Like, what, what outfit are you wearing? So Wayne's wearing a pair of old jeans, uh, you know, just kind of like the classic kind of like higher waisted faded out denim jeans that you just get at Walmart. He's wearing a pair of old hiking boots that he has laced up, uh, probably just like a very generic red flannel shirt and like a tan, um, like one of those like Carhartt kind of jackets, like a, like a construction jacket almost. Nice. Um, and yeah, he's got his hair back in a ponytail. Uh, his mustache is like looking a little bit wild, so he'll kind of be like brushing at it every now and then and stuff. Um, yeah, he's got like a pack of cigarettes in his pocket. What about you, Chayton? What's like Chayton wearing right now? How does he look? Uh, jeans, flannel, uh, like one of those like vests that's like um, like real thick and uh, you know comfy. And, yeah, yeah, those dowel vests. I love those things, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, like flannel vest, and then like you know, like just regular, like maybe some like faded jeans and and uh, like boots. Nice. What about you, Michael? What's Michael wearing right now? Uh, I think Michael would be wearing something like I don't know, like jeans with uh with a like a button up shirt, but like one of those more. I don't know, 80s shirts, you know, the ones that were a bit more, they weren't as slim. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't as right. slim and random yeah. shapes, like random Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like a yeah, yeah. yellow exactly. triangle and an orange circle and a black backdrop, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Okay, so I need all three of you, meaning Wayne, Chayton, and Michael, to give me a wimp, uh, wits and empathy roll, and let's. I'll give you plus one. And let me know the results once you each have ro- rolled it, please. I have zero. Three successes. Minus two. <laughs> no, it's just zero. Yeah. It's zero, yeah. You don't botch unless you have one dice, right? Yeah. Yeah, you have to roll a one on something that you have one dice on to get a okay, botch. Gotcha. So while you guys are all talking about this, you all you see the che, the car drive up. You see the familiar side of Alex getting out and you see him open the door and walk in and there's this uncomfortable moment because not uncomfortable moment, but right now, like Wayne and Michael are in the middle of speaking to each other and you're just kind of looking on the side because you're part of the conversation, but you look and you catch eye contact with Alex. And there's just a moment where you and Alex have this connection when you look at each other. And maybe it's because you both have the same anger Maybe it's because you both have the same outlook on the whole situation. You seem more inflamed by it, that you can sense that he has had something rough happen to him in the morning, not like physically or whatever, but you can see he's a little on tilt. And I'll go ahead. Scenes on you guys. 
I just pass him the the like donut box, <laughs> like with a sympathetic look. Like here, thanks, Jay. And Alex will grab a some sort of frosted donut and start eating it. How you doing, Alex? I'm a little tired, but I guess I'm okay. That's good to hear. Yeah. So what do we got yeah. going on today. Yeah. So I'm gonna be telling this for the uh, third time this day. Third time. Uh. Well, honestly, I just went to tell it to each of you separately anyway. Uh, well, I have some bad news. I think, yeah. I'm going to go make that coffee. Yeah, go ahead. Terry Murphy's dead. What? How? Heart attack, apparently. <laughs> yeah, that's probably bullshit. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, just something to be on the lookout for. It's in right. today's paper. And there's something else. Uh, Jerry Hagberg stopped by today. Oh? Guy from the Bismarck PD works for Walkstetter's ex-wife. Yep, I remember. Yeah. Uh, he has a job for us, sort of. It's not working directly for him or anything related to him. But it's about this kid who ran away from home and he's how long has he been missing chris uh he's been missing for about a month yeah he's been missing for about a month he's got some history with running away but uh his grandfather and the chief of school security uh they both think that this time it's something different and get this the school was actually founded by Calvin Walkstetter. I'm sorry, what? The founded school? by him? Yeah. What the hell? I mean, yeah. Probably gave him building or something. I don't know. And since, you know, we're getting asked by Meredith or Jerry, whatever, same thing, to do this, I'm thinking it might be related to something we care about, you know? All right, so what are we going to do? Well, if we decide to take the job, we first have to talk to John Donaldson, who's the head of security at the school, and he'll direct us to the grandfather, and then we'll get to talk to him, see if this is just a mundane case or not. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. So what do you think? What's the pay? I assume we'll still have to negotiate it. Right, Chris? Yeah, you have to yeah. talk about it. Yeah, you have a going rate, but I mean, it can all be yeah. discussed. Yeah, I mean, since it's walkstairs, I think we can make them pay double. Come back with the, you know, the coffee machine or whatever going, and just uh, say, milk him for everything he's got. I suppose we could call these this 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 John Donaldson. Well, set up a meet. Let's let's make sure we're getting paid first. You know, let's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're going to call up John Donaldson? Well, I guess after we... So how's it going to work? Did uh, Hegbert tell us yeah. how we're going to get paid? Yeah, he told uh, you you guys will get paid that officially that the client will be this missing kid's grandfather, but you'll be getting paid from Jerry. Right, right. Yeah, so basically the contract will be under the grandfather's name and Jerry will pay us. Wayne's got some travel maps out and he's kind of just like circling different things. Uh, he really likes, he, he has a dot in um, 
like survival navigation and stuff like that. And he likes cars. So he's, he just likes the idea of just like, just like going on the trip, you know, and he's got like this Atlas out, he's circling different or it's a roadmap rather. And he's, uh, you know, just circling different stuff, listening to the guys talk. For sure. For sure. For sure. So the plan is to call John Donaldson. Is that what you're going to do, Michael? Yeah, I think so. Just find us a number in the yellow pages. Jerry gave you the name and number. So you can either speak to him one-on-one or you can put him on speaker. You have one of those new fancy like speaker phones that you have in there. It's your call. I mean, if we have it, might as well use it. There you go. Others would appreciate it. Yeah. You're sitting there and you guys are standing around this desk that Michael is sitting at and he takes the receiver off the phone, dials the number, hits the speaker and it rings like three times, and then you hear a, a like a teenage voice, a male teenage voice. He's like, "Dallas residents." Uh, this is uh, Michael Gray. Can I speak to Mister Donaldson, please? Yeah, hold on one second. And then you hear, "Dad, Dad!" You hear like Faye Nov. He's like, "Dad, you got a phone call, Dad!" And you're like, "Oh shit!" And you guys hear it over the speaker. Then you hear, <clears throat> then you hear the handset rattling yeah uh yeah uh michael michael gray yeah yeah this is michael gray from dakota investigative services yeah yeah okay oh good 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 uh yeah jerry told me you'd be calling um i have your address can can i head over there i could be there like in 20 minutes i'd rather not talk on the phone oh yeah if you're gonna come to us of course of course awesome i did i did want to impose i was gonna wait till you call don't you know but um Hey, you called. So that's good. It worked out. Uh, yeah, I'll be there. Give me about 20 minutes, okay? I'm, I'm heading out the door right now, okay? Right, right. Yeah. All right. See thank you. you. And you hear this click. 20 minutes goes by, and then you see this pickup truck come pulling up, and he parks across the street. There's like, there's this little like bookstore, like a Christian bookstore that's across the street, and it has like a parking lot to the side. So some people will park there. They're like the parking along the street is taken. So you see the truck park there. Then you see this guy get out, and he has like a, he has blue jeans on and winter boots, like the blue jeans chucked into the winter boots. And he has like this big winter parka on and you see he has gloves and he has this, the, the, the parka with the fur, the hood with the fur inside pulled over his head. And he's looking both ways. And he's a little bit of, he's not, he's like borderline overweight. And you see him like look both ways and he like starts to like cross the street at the crosswalk. And then he like goes, and he walks up to your door and opens the door and does the courtesy of like kicking his boots along the side of the door. So the snow and stuff will come off. That's on the ground. It's not snowing now, but it's still like on the ground. And he closes and he pulls back the hood. He's like, oh, shit, shit. This fucking cold out there, don't you know? He's like, and he looks at the coffee. He's like, may I? And he like looks at you guys to see if he can get some coffee from the coffee pot. Of course. Like, Have a donut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, go, he goes and gets one. And he comes up and he walks up to you guys. He's like, oh, whew. And he like, it's cold out there. And he looks and he pulls up a chair. He's like, you mind if I sit? Go By ahead. All means. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Whew. So, whew. excuse me. Give me a second. It's been a... Well, since, uh, since I was out That's of fine. Uh, this is Alex. This uh, is Che. Hey, and he like motions to fellow coworkers. And he like gets up. He's like, hey, let me shake your hand. Sorry. He like shakes each of your guys' hand or offers to shake each of your hands. Whew. Okay. So I take it Jerry talked to you about the situation. Yeah. A little, little backstory on my part. I used to work with Jerry on the force. I used to work for the. Uh, the PT did it for about 10 years, give or take, and just decided I just wasn't my life. And, um, you know, wanted to spend more time with the, with my boys and my, my wife. And I got this, uh, job, the head of security over there at the, up there at the Dakota Advents Boys Academy. Um, 
I, uh, it was a pretty easy job. A bunch of, it's basically a school where a bunch of boys are, uh, they kind of, you know, some of them are from the, from religious background, but a lot of them are boys who, you know, have issues in normal schools and they go there and they kind of live there and they go to school and, you know, get an education and everything like that. Um, my job there is to, I'm like the, to manage that they don't get no trouble. Sometimes they get a little marijuana or they get a little drinking or just kind of keep everything on the up and up. I have two guys who work for me and everything is fine. Don't you know? But I have this, um, this one boy, his name is Toby. And um, I don't know, gosh darn it, what to say. And you see him like, he has this mustache, like well-trimmed mustache. He rubs the mustache. It's like salt and peppered. And he just kind of like, you see he has like these brown eyes, these doughful brown eyes. Actually, give me a wits and empathy, all four of you, please. And let me know the results that you get. None. Okay, so just one. I think it's two. All right, so two for Alex, one for Che, zero for Michael. And we'll see for Wayne here. Okay, so you got five. You got exceptional success then. So both Alex and Che, you look at this guy when he's sitting there, when he brings up the Toby kid, and you're like, this is a guy who cares. You know, you 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 pick him up. This guy sincerely is like concerned, you know, about this kid. But then Wayne, when you're looking at this guy, you realize like, oh man, because you really feel and tuned to him and you realize that this guy is pretty soft. And I don't mean like a soft in a bad way, but you're like, with him mentioning like him not being on the police force because it wasn't really his thing, for, you know, after 10 years, you kind of realize this guy is like almost empathetic to like a, a fault where he's kind of a, he maybe if he was ever to be around the wrong person, he could easily be taken advantage of. You get that from him. Like he cares too much at times, but that could be a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing that you're getting, but you're definitely picking up that this guy I hate to say it's like a good dude in the fact that he cares about people. And I, you don't know if he has any flaws or anything like that, but so he seems like naive, naive too, very naive, but very caring, very caring and empathetic person. Like he generally cares like about people and he's here genuinely concerned. And he, he's like, and he says, you know, this boy, he's got, he's hot headed. He ran, he ran away a couple of times. Uh, and you see him look up at the ceiling and he's like, he came back, he was found. He just was an angry kid. There's a lot of angry boys who go to the school. Is this something that I learned to deal with? They usually, I get along with them usually pretty well, but a month ago he ran away again. And uh, so we already know this wasn't the first time he ran away. Uh, did mm-hmm. he ever run away for more than a month? No, no. At most a week, at most a week. Um, so I was concerned. The boy's grandfather, his name's Otis. He was concerned. We went to the Bismarck PD. They put in a missing persons request, but the school and them said he probably just ran away. Nothing bad happened. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I went to Jerry cause I, I care and I don't think anything was getting done. And Jerry's a good man. Jerry has a good reputation. Um, there's a lot of times Jerry helped me out and gave me advice and I knew Jerry was still in town and Jerry still had polls. I spoke to Jerry and he, and he led me your way. Now, here's the thing I got to ask. Please don't involve me in any kind of like, if you talk to anyone from the school, if you talk to anyone, period, I did not tell you any of this. I could lose my job if I went outside the school scope like this to you all. I just want to help out the boy's grandfather. The boy's grandfather's old and he's cares, but he doesn't know what right. to do right now. Right. So what's Toby's full name? Toby Lancaster. Lancaster. Okay. And his grandfather's name? Otis Lancaster. 
Otis. Okay, then, thank you. So you're saying Toby was a troubled teen then? Yeah, he was. His grandfather can explain more, but from my understanding, his grandfather raised him. He didn't have his mother and his father in his life. And just, you know, the, 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 the hormones start happening, gosh darn it, and just, you know, we've all been there. I was there. I'm sure you were there. And you just get angry and you lash out. And uh, his, fa- his grandfather's rather old and there's no other adult figure in his life. So his grandfather sent him to the school and that's why he went there. Right. So did he get involved in anything recently? You know, maybe some friends, new friends or something like that. To be honest, I wasn't really close to the boy. I mean, I have over a hundred and some boys there that I speak to, you know, and I, yeah, I was on good terms with them, but I don't know. But his grandfather uh, knows some people at the school he, he he spoke to. There's a couple of teachers I know that he was close to like that. Yes. But again, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like a coward, all right? And some people may say I'm a coward in this situation, but I really am worried. I don't want to be seen tied to this at all. This is how I pay my bills and everything. Yeah, oh, yeah. We'll make sure to leave you out of it completely once we start our investigation. But here's his grandfather's address, all right? And you, like, see him takes out this notepad, and he, like, writes down one of those little spiral notepads. And he writes down the address and he slides it over you. And you realize this is the same apartment complex that you guys went and talked to Johnny Vaughn. It was actually really Che and Michael who went and talked to Johnny Vaughn at that apartment complex. But same apartment complex over there on the west side of town. Not too far from where you live, Alex. And he slides that over. He's like, this is his phone number. This is the man. He doesn't work. He's retired out of there. You should, you should go speak to him. He could probably give you more information. Okay, thank you. If there's anything you want to tell us, you know, you can always just call us and come here personally. Yes, and um, I ask again, if you go to the school and you see me at the school, just pretend you don't know me, please, okay? Right, right, right. All right, thank you. I get up and shake his hand. You know, I just want to assure you, sir, most of these things are pretty simply resolved. Uh, Oftentimes winds up being a misunderstanding or... You know, just something like that. So don't worry yourself too much about it and we'll get to the bottom of it. And when you say that to him, you're looking at him and you still have that connection. You you see him turn and look at you and you see his brown eyes almost look wider than normal. And you see the sorrow in him. He's like, I sure hope you're right, sir. I sure hope you're right. I mean, like pats you on the shoulder and you're just like, oh, fuck. Like you feel like the hairs like stand up on the back of your neck and he turns around and you see him walk out the like pull up the parka. Jacket, thank you for the coffee, he says before he turns around and walks out. And he puts the cup down next to the coffee maker and turns around and walks out. Scenes on you guys. Right. So, what, how do we want to do this? I don't want to overwhelm the old man. I don't think we should all go there. I think hmm, Wayne and Alex, would you be up for it? Yeah. Alex, you'll ride with me? Yeah. Me and and Wayne's going to kind of remember, like, you know, the, the last, it doesn't even feel like too long ago that him and Alex were actually standing outside in the parking lot there, smoking cigarettes, kind of reconnecting a little bit. Oh, yeah. Now you guys, the roles are reversed. Where last time it was, that's crazy. I didn't even think about that. Last time it was Michael and Che who went into the lion's den in a way. And you guys were kind of like just standing out there helpless. And now you guys are like tip of the spear when it comes into like talking. I'm sure that's a sense of, 
I don't know. Uh, let me ask you both this, both you, Wayne and Alex, knowing that you are, that Michael is having faith and putting you two to go talk to this old man. Does, how does that make you each feel? It feels fucking awesome to Wayne, honestly, because to just originally be this guy who had no direction and, you know, worked the menial job at the Seven Eleven, was never in charge of anything cool. And now he gets to hang around this office with his friends, feel like a cop, feel like he's doing something really cool. He's getting sent on the, on the mission, basically. And to him, he's just still amazed that, like, that this is what's happening. He just thinks it's so cool. How does it make you feel, Alex? Alex just has his grim determination to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, he's, he's all business. So he's happy to be in the front line in a way, at least on this aspect. Yeah, he is. He's back in it and he wants to figure out what he can do to solve the problem. So Wayne, with that connection you had with the old man, did that, what has that changed your outlook at all on what you're about to do or what, what, like, what are you walking away from with that? Like, the connection that I felt with the, the the security guy, the guy I just talked to. Yeah. Uh, it kind of bothers him a little bit just to see that kind of like helplessness in that guy's face. And, but it also, since he's like, since Wayne has kind of turned over this new leaf, he's, he has more faith. He's more of a religious person. He sees this man as like somebody who stands for doing good, stands for, you know, stands for the forces of good. And he's scared by, by something and like Wayne can see that. And it's just, you know, it, it, it gives him a little bit of a chill. Yeah. The irony, right. Just how it worked out with you getting that many successes. And the fact that this character development that you're doing and trying to emulate in a way, Raymond and trying to learn from these wiser people. And yeah. And then you had that connection and like, is this what happens when you elevate yourself to that level? Is you see more of this within people? Is it almost like the fact how, you know, if you were a Christian and believe that Jesus, like in a way, died on behalf of mankind, is that like what you are now going to experience is seeing the pain and the suffering and the vulnerability in people and have to carry that burden for them by doing such things as this? Yeah, he definitely feels like um, that by attaining like goodness, by attaining like, you know, connection with the Lord, like you also just open yourself up to, to you know, seeing horrible things or, or feeling the pain of like evil and stuff like that. But he's, he like sees uh, a fear in this man's eyes. And it's like, it's something that caught him off guard. And it's just like, you know, this is the man who tries to do right by the Lord and he's scared of something. And that doesn't sit right with, with Wayne. Good. Thank you for that insight, by the way. Derek, you just dropped off Greg and you drove off in your van and you're kind of right now at a point where you haven't been able to drive around at this time of the day on a work day for God knows how long you've been working for like the last you've been working since your teens, but you've been working full time for like the last three years. And now you're driving about when there's mothers who are doing, going grocery shopping while the kids are in school or there's delivery men who may be delivering stuff, but the roads seem eerily empty as you drive past a Kirkwood mall and the sky is gray and you're just left on your own in your van. What's going on in your head right now? Um, his mother would be working too right now. Yeah, well, she's working she... her one of two jobs for sure. Yeah, exactly. At the, she is working at the Cracker Barrel right now. Uh, I think Derek is kind of apprehensive about going home. Like he doesn't want to be around just his dad, like a total loser. Like, hey, I lost my job today. 
does he feel like his dad still judges him like he's under his dad's scrutiny mm, not exactly but i think the relationship between the two of them is definitely strained um so he feels unsure whether he uh, should uh, confront him alone or whether he should wait for his mom to return like she's a i get it that feeling she can be there to filter the animosity that may be there or the bitterness or the tension she breaks that tension up yeah has it been like that often even before your dad hurt himself was it like that way between derek and his dad where your mom was often the mediator and the one who broke that tension yeah i think before that um his dad was always at work so um i mean the uh, the his mom was more important uh most of his youth and i think that just extended um when everything changed and actually like probably that put emphasis on it because um Derek kind of realized um, now he has to now he has to do his part and felt weird that his dad was at home all the time. Because almost like going home when your dad would I, I, it'd be admitting defeat in front of your old man coming home after getting laid off during the day. You know what I mean? To be showing weakness almost. And I don't know, may, maybe the bitterness that your father has about his lot in life or how he can't provide has become toxic and in a way has, has shifted his view of his son and poisoned it, you know, between you and him. Now he's never outright said anything mean spirited, but yeah, I think maybe it's just Derek's conjecture. Like he, he really wants to help out his family. It's important to him, but at the same time, he, uh, he realizes how, how much um, of a struggle it is, not just for him, like for his mother as well. And he kind of dislikes probably that his father is just not just sitting about at home, but like throwing his life away. Yeah, for sure. So with all that being said, and you driving now, not going home, what's your plan of action now? Uh, I think uh, Derek would drive to his um, the garage or uh, the um, the shop he has where he works on on the furniture. Mm-hmm. And just stay there for a little bit, um, ponder things, uh, maybe get uh, a newspaper to look uh, for like all the ads we're looking to hire. Mm. Yeah. But I think eventually, like, he will try to remember uh, this Michael guy he talked to on the phone and in the Denny's or what, what, whatever it was. Yeah, it's kind of funny too because as you get to this U-Haul garage that you have rented out for your wood shop, and as you pull your van up, you put in your little access code to open the U-Haul area gate, and you drive your van in there, and you park your van between the two rows of garages, and you get out and you put your key into the lock, unlock the paddle lock, and you slide up this garage. You slide up this garage door. You see all your woodworking material in there you smell the sawdust in the air that has been rested on the ground you turn on you pull this light thing like the light chain and you see this light bulb go up and you have the paper that you have under your arm that you grabbed earlier in the day and you go and you sit and you're staring at this stainless steel saws and you look at this chair this this kind of like a handcrafted inspired by antique looking dining room chair that you were whittling and working on and you pull up the paper and you're looking in the 
you get into the want ad section and you see an ad in there. And that thought of Michael crosses your mind as you see a Dakota Investigative Services ad in there. And it's like, oh, looking for, you know, looking for something that the police cannot, you know, cannot look into in generic terms. It has like, you know, like bullet points of different things they do with the phone number. And you see the phone number there. And you actually see like this picture of Michael from like the shoulder up. And he's like smiling like into the camera, you know, smiling into the camera to kind of like look. It says Dakota Investigative services and you you kind of like it's almost like a smack in the face of reality when you see this down there because you're like shit and thoughts of amanda come into your head for a moment and you're looking at this man who's i and there's a moment because you've talked to michael and you talked to michael and you saw the annoyance of michael when he felt like he had to pitch you the idea of working with this group there's a sense and you said it's like this guy's not happy you remember that wayne guy kind of being like over energetic and the others kind of being like they didn't give a shit two ways or another but you just sense michael looking at you and just being like, I don't give a fuck if you say yes or no, just I want you to get done because I got a purpose. And then you see this picture though, where he's like smiling whites of his teeth and he's trying to like force a smile to look professional with the tie on. And you see it like in the dot matrix, black and white paper. And there's just a moment you look at this and you realize like this man is, is, is he's looking for a man is killer. Is it that simple when you look at it? like you see this front he puts on or whatever, but you remember like what they said about that. And it's this weird discombobulating feeling almost while you're sitting there and you can still feel like the briskness coming through because you left the the garage door open like a foot you can feel like the cold wind coming as you're looking at this paper you feel like almost like you're skipping school right now too because you know you should be doing something and you're just all hit with this rush of emotions what's going on in your head i think the place i'm in is probably frozen solid right i imagine uh, derek has like a uh, a heater you know, one of uh, those that are sitting on the floor and get really loud. And I think like for a while he can't even sit down. He's just walking back and forth to stay warm, like uh, contemplating this newspaper. Would he have a phone there though? Maybe for his father to reach him? Um, I would say no, because it would cost too much money to have a phone line. Yeah. But there's a pay phone though, that's like right outside the office where you would go to pay you know for your monthly charges for this u-haul thing and there's like they have a phone in there you can use also but there's also a pay phone that's outside of there yeah i think after like a while of like um trying to uh jump over his own shadow he's like fuck it and walks to a phone still fueled by the whiskey maybe and everything that's been going on this uh this morning and he does the number from the newspaper Michael, your phone rings right in front of you just as Alex and Wayne leave. Uh, Michael Gray, Dakota Investigative Services. Hey, uh, this is Derek Porter. Oh, hey, Derek. How are you doing? Um, not that great today, to be perfectly frank. Oh, really? Uh, I lost my job. Are you still offering? I mean, yes. Yes, we are, in fact. We've been doing pretty well, and could actually use a new member of the team yeah just saw your ad (laughs) oh that thing it's so embarrassing nice smile (laughs) uh don't even ask how many takes it took anyway uh if you want to know more then uh you can meet us here at the office uh give him the address yeah cool you got you got time right now I do actually I've been just doing some office work. Okay. Anyway, see you then there. Oh, 
Hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs Gameplay and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite White Wolf role-playing games? Or have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions so that your media could get the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.